I've got a lot to get through today, so I'm going to get right into it, eh? Um, and uh, I've got to say, I probably could have, out of this scripture, I probably could have um, stuck on it for a couple of months, to be honest, but, you know, God has another plan, so I'm going to keep moving forward, and we look forward to seeing what God has. So today, I'm going to be continuing on the story of Nicodemus. So hopefully you were here last week, but if not, I'm going to recap a little bit. Um, but uh, this is part of the Bible series that I started back in October called Revealing Jesus, and where it takes us through the Bible or the book of the Gospel of John, one verse at a time, revealing the character, the works, the actions, the, the words of Jesus, and revealing that He is Lord, revealing that Jesus is the Messiah, revealing that He came from God and He is God and He is the Word made flesh. And by believing in the revealed Jesus, we will genuinely believe, genuinely trust and be transformed, um, entering the kingdom of God. So whether you've followed other parts of it or not, I, I pray that God encourages you through the Word. But if you come here for a fluffy word this morning, I'm sorry you've come to the wrong place, so I'm going to apologize in advance. Um, last week we talked about the first part of Nicodemus and that first part of interaction that Jesus had with him. Um, so to recap where we are up to in this story, uh, we saw that Nicodemus, he was an accomplished ruler. So this is out of John chapter 3, the story of Jesus talking to Nicodemus. So where we're up to. And according to um, history and according to tradition, Nicodemus, he was the third richest man in Jerusalem, which I didn't know. It's pretty, uh, pretty high up there. He had all the influence Nicodemus had all the accomplishments that anyone could ask for. When he came to Judaism, he had everything accomplished. He, he followed every law, followed every regulation. He was a Pharisee of the highest order. He was the most knowledgeable, most accomplished master teachers of Judaism at the time. If anyone had reached the apex of Judaism at the time, it would have been him. Top of the top of his religion, Nicodemus. Thank you. Thank you very much. And he's coming down. So, yeah. Um, and the fact that Nicodemus actually approached Jesus, even though he had accomplished all these things and reached the top of his religion, the top of, at the time, was God's religion, the top of getting to God through this religion. And the fact that he actually even approached Jesus, it shows that he was searching for answers. It shows that he was still searching. The most accomplished man sees, sees Jesus performing miracles, and a wonder that he's never had seen before. And maybe Nicodemus was thinking, well, maybe this man could give me an answer to fill that human void, to fill that human turmoil that I'm feeling. Maybe he can teach me something. Maybe he can teach me the next step to, you know, changing, or the next ritual that I might have to perform to, to get closer to the kingdom of God. You know, maybe can Jesus, Jesus can teach me how to get rid of the feeling of, that human feeling that we all get of anxiety, fear, worry, unsurety. And even though he reached the apex of his religion, he did not get there. So when Jesus meets Nicodemus, Jesus did not waste any time going through all the fluff. I don't know if you remember last week, Nicodemus prepared his beautiful speech. Get ready. Oh, Jesus, we know that you have come from God. And Jesus goes, uh-uh, hold, hold on a second. Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, unless somebody is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus is basically saying to Nicodemus, you've spent your entire life going through all the motions. You've spent your entire life to try to get to the kingdom of God. 
doing all the religious works, doing all the rituals, following all the required laws and everything and the feast and everything like that. But there's something that you are still missing. Something, and you can sense it, Nicodemus. Something that you're missing. You are after something that only God can do. You need what you can't contribute in. You need something that you have absolutely no control in. You need to be born again. Not in a natural sense, but in a spiritual sense. Something that only God can do in your life. Living Hope Church in Nicodemus. And Jesus used the most simple way to help him understand. He used the analogy of birth. So just like we have no contribution or no control in, in us being born into this world, in the same way we have no contribution and no control being born into a spiritual world. And Jesus continues to explain this term, being born again to Nicodemus. John 3, 5. I'm going to skip a bit and then I'll get to the, to the lovely bits. John, Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And as I mentioned last week, even though water baptisms are a critical part in a Christian journey, it's a, it, it ref, it's a reflection of our internal world being changed and a new commitment to a new life in Christ. This scripture, but Jesus was not talking about baptism. He wasn't promoting that Christian baptism that sometimes we promote on stage. Jesus, he's referring to Ezekiel chapter 36, um, which I'll probably skip that part, so I don't need to put that up. That's okay, because I'll just abbreviate it to save a bit of time. Raquel did a great job, took a little bit of time, no, I'm joking. <laughs> but in, in short, in short, like clean water, Ezekiel's saying, like clean water, God will cleanse your heart. Remember that the story of the temple that I preached a while back? Jesus cleanses the hearts. Jesus forgives like clean water running through your heart. And, and he will place his spirit on us so that we will worship him and follow him, living a godly, fruitful life. See, we don't gain this spiritual rebirth by being a morally good person. We don't gain this spiritual rebirth by charitable good works. We don't gain it by attending church on Sundays. We don't even get it by all these religious activities. Even though that comes from a place of faith, Jesus tells Nicodemus to enter the kingdom of God, a person must be spiritually reborn. That is, that spiritual rebirth through the Holy Spirit in water and spirit. It's not of your own doing, Nicodemus. You can't find another spiritual ritual that's going to get you closer to God. It's not divine work of God's hand. It's a divine work of God's grace and sovereign power. It's a divine miracle from heaven. And we have absolutely no contribution or participation in the spiritual miracle that takes place. And then we come where we left off in John 3. John 3, 9 to 11. Nicodemus like, how can these things be? Asked Nicodemus. And Jesus said, are you a teacher of Israel and don't understand these things? I've just quoted you the Old Testament. Jesus replied, truly I, I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. So Jesus is basically saying to Nicodemus, hey, I'm telling you the truth. You've just heard the truth. Now it's up to you to believe the truth. You see, God has a salvation plan. He has a divine, sovereign ability to save the world and bring the world into a spiritual rebirth that only He can do. 
That's God's responsibility. But we have a responsibility too. It's our responsibility to believe. It's our responsibility to believe in God's salvation plan and believe that God can spiritually rebirth us. No no religion, no ritual, no good works will ever get us to that place of spiritual rebirth. Only believing. And Raquel's talking about you've got to belong to believe. But hey, we belong to the kingdom of God too, right? And by belonging to the kingdom of God, we continue to believe. So that's where I left off. I'll read the next part completely now, which is uh, 12 to 21, and then I'm going to break it down for us, just to give you a broader picture of what I'm going to be talking about. So Jesus continues with Nicodemus after that part. What do you mean? I don't believe. What are you talking about? So Jesus said, I have told you about earthly things, and you don't believe it. How will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, which is another messianic term that Jesus used as God himself, and that's come out of uh, Daniel chapter 7 from the Old Testament. So verse 14, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so on the, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. See, Nicodemus, he couldn't understand. He couldn't, I mean, you, you, you read through that, it's a whole lot of spiritual talk. He couldn't understand it. Nicodemus, he, can't, he couldn't believe it. And Jesus, he confronts this unbelief. And he says to Nicodemus in verse 12, I'll go back to it. If I told you about these earthly things, if I, if I, if I, for example, gave you an analogy of a human birth, and I'm telling you about these things to help you connect with that spiritual birth, how will it you, that, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? You see, unbelief in a person produces ignorance. A person that tries to understand God's salvation into an internal kingdom with a natural understanding just won't get it. A, natu- a person with a fleshly mind, which I talked about uh, last week, just will not understand the power of God's Holy Spirit. And Christians fall into this temptation of unbelief over and over again. As the years go by, we continue to walk in our Christianity we fall into that old same world ways of thinking. We try to put a natural understanding of things, a natural understanding of life, faith, our journey. Eventually, the idea of faith in our hearts starts to dwindle away. Salvation and truth starts to become further away. And the idea of this spiritual community becomes less and less important and actually becomes a foolish idea. And Paul says it perfectly in the letters to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1.14 But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit 
because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand since it is elevated spiritually. See, a natural understanding of spiritual things will only lead to more unbelief because it seems more and more foolish. And remember last week what I said that flesh produces more flesh. Sometimes we, we as Christians, we like to adopt different philosophies and ways of thinking we, we, and usually to accommodate our own selfish lifestyle. We adopt all these self-help ways to life. We see help, self-help success stories. If you run through social media, if you talk to someone, you see people full of energy, full of life, showing how to live. This is how you got to do it. This is, I'm going to show you the way. I've got a special kind of way for you. See, while some of these principles there might be good, because a lot of them are actually biblical, many are not. They're designed to promote self, designed to promote selfish desires, selfish ways of living. But it seems attractive, and we follow it. They seem like they're, they're, they've made it in life, these people. People, it, it, it's so great. The lights and the, the backlighting of the screen is so perfect. You know, it seems so great that everything's so good. They seem like they've arrived at some sort of human completion, right? But as the years go by, I mean, I'm getting older. I'm starting to see a few of them dwindle away. More and more people fall away. Sporting heroes, music heroes, actors, motivational speakers, social media sensations. Who seem, they seem like they got it all together. But eventually they just fall away. See, many don't believe about, don't, they don't believe. And without the Spirit of God, they eventually run out of steam and they head out or head down a destructive path. See, it's a counterfeit form of God's true life. It's meaningless to chase to the top, right? It's meaningless to drive for success, but somehow there's a drive in there to make me want to go and get it. And only to realize that that drive causes broken relationships, broken down marriages, self-inflicting harm, abuse, and a trail of destruction behind us. And the danger for many Christians is that if we continue with these self-help ways, living and following the same destructive paths, we will follow their path. And while many people claim to believe, showing a form of godliness, I'm not talking about anyone here, by the way, okay? While many claim to, we believe, showing a form of godliness, still trying to understand, always trying to understand with a natural sense. It just won't work when it comes to godly things and understanding the life of God. Our minds will become more and more darkened and we won't have the capacity to understand or absorb the deeper spiritual things. So eventually many people walk away from, from Christianity and actually we see it more and more. Many fall away into a trap of unbelief because they just don't understand and it's like it just doesn't work. Christianity it doesn't work. Many still come to church, still doing all the religious good deeds. Maybe they've grown up in a Christian church or in a Christian household, still running through the motions, but no heart, no genuine faith. And then they run out of steam. Sometimes we forget that we are saved into an internal or eternal, internal, eternal spiritual kingdom, which only can be understood by God's spirit inside of us. See, life in the spirit won't make sense in a natural human understanding. I mean, how can a mind 
completely under, um, understand or comprehend humble or humility or giving. I mean, how can we even comprehend the words of Jesus when Jesus goes, if someone wants your jacket, give him your shirt too. I mean, has anyone done that lately? Has anyone tried to take advantage of you lately? And then you said, that's okay, brother or sister. You can take that. Oh, do you, do you know what? One, one sec. Take, take this. How can you understand that in a natural mind? You can't. It's impossible. You can't. It'll be like, like oh, take advantage of me. You take advantage of me. Get out of here. You're not going to do that. It's not, it's foolishness, right? But the Spirit of God says, do it. The Spirit of God says, that's life. That's you surrendering to the Spirit of God and understanding and seeing life from a different perspective. Wow. From a different perspective. What about when you get slapped on one side and Jesus says, just hit me one more time. Just for, you know, for all time's sake. Crazy. See, there's only two ways to life. A natural self-help, self-absorbed, self-indulging way of life, which only produces more self-indulgence and eventually destruction. And I'm talking about Christianity too here. Or a life in the Spirit of God, where our lives are committed to God, committed to His ways and His light and His life, completely dependent on Him, and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God is after genuine belief. He's after genuine faith. People who have been cleansed of their hearts and have a new spirit within them who displays evidence of a transformed life by the Spirit of God, having a genuine love for people and a genuine love for God. See, you might be great at selling ice to Eskimos or, you know, Lip service, charismatic personality, but none of that won't get you into the kingdom of God. And Jesus, he's confronting this natural kind of thinking. He's confronting this unbelief with Nicodemus. And Jesus explains to Nicodemus how to overcome the unbelief. I thought, oh, wow, that's really cool. So Jesus said this, John 3.13, No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven the Son of Man. Now, I just want to acknowledge right there that some people have ascended into heaven. We have stories like Lazarus, Elijah, Paul, the apostle for a brief moment, there's a few others. Even in our modern society, we hear of people that have gone to heaven and, and come back and, you know, explaining everything. But you don't know, that's, and that's not for us to judge. But one thing is absolutely true. One thing is absolutely certain. Only one person in history has ever come down from heaven with the truth about salvation, and that's Jesus Christ. Every other religion or belief comes either from earth or from below. Every other other religious system is either earthly or it's demonic, and I'm not going to name any. There's thousands of them out there. There's only one heavenly gospel. Praise the Lord. Only one message that came down from heaven, and that is from the Son of God, Jesus. Not even the most religious saint, 
Not even people who are in transcendental, whatever, transcendental, whatever meditation, you know what I mean. Not even people that ascend into some former, you know, some higher level of consciousness and living. Not even the most famous preacher or teacher that's claiming he's got the best anointing and the special revelation that any God gave him, but you don't seem to find anywhere in the words. No person has ever come down from heaven to bring the truth. Jesus is the only one that came down from heaven. And the message he brings is that salvation is a complete work of our sovereign God. Being spiritually born again is a gift that God gives. And we all need to, and all we need to do is receive that by faith. That's the truth. And Jesus is the only one in history that ever came down from heaven to bring that truth. So God himself is speaking to Nicodemus. And he's saying, don't believe anything other than this. Don't believe it. Believe Jesus is the one. The long-awaited Messiah who descended from heaven. The one the prophets prophesied about in Scripture hundreds of years earlier. Genuinely believe in the truth and you will be saved. Genuinely believe in the truth and your spiritual eyes will be opened. And you'll be set free from deception and selfishness of this natural world. Then in verse 14, Jesus continues. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So what's Jesus referring to here? And I love this, man. You go verse by verse, you have to address every one of them. It's great. Back in the Old Testament, in Numbers chapter 21, the people of Israel are punished by God. And, uh, and because of their disobedience, God sent snakes into their camp and with poisonous snakes, and he bit, and the snakes bit these, the Israelites. Many of them died. And then, you know, the Israelites recognized that they were rebelling against God and they repented and they cry out to God, God, save us, help us. We need you help. They wake up from that ignorance all of a sudden. You wake up from your ignorance now? Ah, oh, okay. Isn't that funny that sometimes in our own life, we're a little bit, we have to be awoken up from our own ignorance when stuff happens in our life. And we've got to wake up, right? So God, in his compassion and mercy, thank God for that, he said to Moses, all right, grab your staff, you know, get the pole, put a bronze snake on it, and anyone that looks up at this bronze snake will be immediately healed. That's weird. Like, it looks like idol worship kind of thing, you know? But Jesus, and, and this was thousands of years earlier, but God already had a plan, right? So Jesus uses this analogy to explain that in the same way the Israelites looked up to this bronze snake and were saved from death, so it is with mankind carrying the poison of sin, carrying the poison of humanity. We can look up to Jesus, look up at the cross of salvation, and we will be saved and we will be healed. Praise the Lord. The Jews had to believe God, the word given to Moses from God. They had to believe. They can't say they didn't believe. They had to believe it. And they had to genuinely believe. Otherwise, guess what? They would have fallen over and died. They had to believe and look up. And Jesus is he's saying to, to Nicodemus, you need to believe and look up to Jesus. You need to believe 
and give him all of your attention. You need to elevate Jesus above all your rituals, all your religious good works, above everything, above all your deeds. You need to elevate Jesus above the fear of others, the fear of what others might think of you, the fear of being rejected by others that don't want to believe. You have to elevate Jesus, who is the only one that could save you and save your life and save your soul. Jesus is saying, whoever looks at Jesus by believing in him and elevates him above themselves, above religious good deeds, will be spiritually transformed and their eyes wide opened with a new perspective of life and eternal life. Not by good works, not by religious deeds, not by religious practices, but by simply believing truth, the truth, and you'll be saved. You'll be spiritually set free. So powerful. Excited about that. Okay, so what's God's motive? Why is God doing all of this? Nicodemus will be thinking, why would give, why would, why would God give eternal life to anybody that believes? I mean, surely God has reserved that special place for, for the Jews in heaven. You know, surely God's reserved that place for those that stick to all the rituals, follow all the laws, follow everything to the T, and, and, and keep all the religious obligations. And worse yet, why does God give eternal life to all who believes? Like all the Gentiles, all of our enemies, the Romans that are killing us and people that, that, that curse God. Why is God making it available to everyone? What's behind all of this? We see why in one of the most famous scriptures of all time. John 3.16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God's motive for salvation is love. God is love. God's motive for spiritual rebirth and transformation is love. It's not because of our religious good works. I love repeating myself, eh? It just sinks in. Got to keep going. It's not because of rituals or being morally good person. It's not because of that. God's salvation is purely out of the motivation of his love. Wow. The Jews, they hated the Gentiles. They hated the Romans. But God's love goes far beyond that. Far beyond any human hatred. I mean, it, I mean, I remember early on as a Christian, I used to think, man, you're, you're a really hard person to get, a, to get along with. I mean, why did God save you? <laughs> you know, it goes beyond any human hatred, eh? <laughs> See, but this doesn't mean that God's going to save the whole world. He doesn't save everybody that ever lives. The Bible is pretty clear on that. The Bible is pretty clear that salvation comes by believing and that genuine belief leads to a transformed life. But God's love does show up in, in something we call common grace. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The sun rises and falls on the you know, just and the unjust. People fall in love. People have children. They enjoy the beauties of the world, the satisfaction, success, the beautiful things God placed in man's care. It's all evidence of God's general love for humanity. 
And the Bible says God gives opportunity for every person to hear good news one way or another. But whoever genuinely believes the love of God, whoever genuinely believes Jesus' death and resurrection and the power that comes from the cross, you will be saved from death to life. How assuring is that? You will be spiritually reborn and transformed by His Spirit. I'm massaging. We've got to believe it. Believe it. Believe it. Jesus continues, 3.17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Jesus came to save the world, not to judge the world or condemn it. Next time Jesus comes back, yeah, He's going to judge the world. And that's in the second coming, which is going to happen. Everything in the Bible has come true. It's going to happen. But this time, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to save, not to condemn. God wants to save the world. So God sends Jesus because of his infinite love for humanity. God sent his son, Jesus, to display grace, mercy, and forgiveness and save people from eternal judgment. God's love murdered him, motivated him to save all those that choose to believe. So this next verse is pretty important for Nicodemus and us. Just a couple of little lovely little points here. John 3.18, anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he, he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. See, on the one hand, God says, believe and you will be saved. Believe, that, that's all it takes. Believe. All your charges against you are dropped. Completely clean. Forgiven. All your wrongdoings are gone. And you're given an eternal life. It's, it's awesome. But there's another hand. And on the other hand, Jesus says, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, then you have already been judged. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile or, you know, anyone from anywhere in the world. If you refuse to believe in Jesus Christ, you have been judged and you have been condemned to eternal hell. I mean, it's quite harsh though, right? Christ came in love to save the lost because he has that saving nature in him. But, you know, what if you're a chosen Jew or or uh, some sort of elite person, you know, with a, an elite power and an authority. What if you're a great person? What if you're someone that gives to the poor and you like helping people? Well, it's quite clear. You either genuinely believe in the Savior or you refuse to believe. There's only two options to choose when the truth is pretty powerful. And there is only two places we end up. In God's kingdom or in another kingdom? Hell. And so, if it's that serious, if it's really that serious for all humanity and that crucial to make that one life-changing moment decision in your life, that, that life-threatening decision, if it's that crucial, then why do people reject Christ? Why? Why do people refuse to believe? This is how Jesus puts it. John three nineteen to 20. This is the judgment. 
the light has come. If you remember in John chapter 1, Jesus is the light. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. This is Jesus come from heaven. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. That's the, peop- the reason people refuse to believe. One reason. See, many times it's not ignorance. Many times it's not misunderstanding. Many times it's not the fact that I, I-, I didn't know. It's not that. The truth is, most people prefer moral darkness. People love selfish living. People love corruption. They love greed. They love lust. People love that. People love all the pleasures the world has to offer. And believing in Jesus, the true light, only exposes these motives. It exposes these agendas and calls sin, sin, and calls evil, evil. And Jesus brings truth. He calls it for what it is. And it's hard Even as a Christian, we don't like the truth, right? I mean, it hurts. Truth hurts. We like the truth, but it hurts. People that love darkness hate the light because the light exposes the darkness. And I hate to say it, but a lot of times it's very true for Christians today. Some might say, well, I believe in Jesus. I go to church on Sundays. I fulfill all my obligations as a Christian. I do what I need to do to stay in touch. I heard that before. But there's still lovers of greed, lovers of lust, lovers of all, all kinds of selfish living. That's a deception. And like Jesus reveals truth, we reveal truth in a loving way. Hopefully I'm not condemning you. See, there's something not right here. When Christians say they believe, why do they still act like an unbeliever? Maybe a life in the spirit seems like foolishness. Maybe because there's no really real genuine belief. Maybe the ways of the world seem better. Maybe this self-help and all these tools and keys actually make a bit of sense. Maybe. Maybe it seems more attractive. Or maybe it's just lip service, looking good, showing a form of, of godliness, just to make you feel like a Christian. But none of that really changes. None of that really changes you. It doesn't really change you on the inside. It doesn't really spiritually transform you and change you and have that born again rebirth. So this is how you can see a true Christian who genuinely believes in God's sovereign gift of salvation. John 3.21, that's my last scripture. But anyone who lives by truth comes to the light. Anyone who lives by truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. See, a genuine believer is a person who loves the truth. A genuine believer is a person that loves genuine transformation, that has that genuine belief and is transformed by his spirit. Someone who is willing to admit when they're wrong. A genuine believer acknowledges their shortcomings. They acknowledge their weakness. They acknowledge their temptations. A genuine believer is someone that is humble and surrendered to God. 
and shows compassion and kindness and love for others. Christians, talking to us, people that believe, don't run from the truth anymore. Don't run. His love is truth. Make a decision to genuinely believe in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that can transform you and work in you and through you. Live in His light. Live in His truth. Have a responsibility for our generation to be genuine and stop calling it, stop acting like religious Christians and powerless Christians. Have that responsibility for our generation to live in the truth, to seek the truth, to reveal the truth, to communicate the truth, and to display the love of God through a transformed life. Jesus wants to reveal himself through you. Jesus wants to reveal himself through those that genuinely believe. Jesus is the only one that will give you rest, peace, as you believe and trust in his salvation plan. Would you bow your heads as we reflect and pray? And pray. And pray. <laughs> pray. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Wow, what a word. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your truth, Lord. Holy God, we thank you for your word here today. We're so grateful for your word. And God, we're so grateful for what you spoke to Nicodemus about all that time ago. We thank you so much, Lord, for your divine truth and your plan for salvation. We thank you that by your grace and your complete work alone, we are born again in water, cleansed, and in spirit, with a new spirit inside of us, making us a new creation, giving us a new life in Christ. Just like Nicodemus, who made his decision to believe the truth, Today, we make a decision right now to genuinely believe. So at that moment, Jesus, we believe. Say to yourself, Jesus, I believe. Jesus, help me to genuinely believe. Help me to live in your truth. surrendered in your will and not my will we surrender to your truth right now God we trust you God we trust your Holy Spirit within us Holy Spirit help us to walk in the light of your truth help us to face the truth of our own humanity help us to follow Jesus understand his character and his ways so that we walk imitating his character and his ways help us to live a life in the spirit we thank you God we thank you Lord we believe we believe we believe Jesus we believe in the salvation plan God believe that you can spiritually rebirth us and open up our eyes to a new perspective and a new way of living.
a life in the Spirit, producing heavenly fruit, spiritual fruit.